Good morning. I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself. Uh, one of my bigger fears when I started dating Claire was I was going to find out she was my cousin. I, I, you can ask her. I was really scared. I don't know why. It's so weird. But we're not. We're not cousins. Praise God. Um, um, Pastor Scott is in Israel, and you get me this morning. Just, just like all our, thank you, thank you, middle schoolers and high schoolers. They get me every Wednesday. Um, let me tell you a couple things you need to be aware about. First, we have still in the back corner, we have our compassion table. You know, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all our mothers. But, you know, sometimes God calls you to mother or parent from a long distance away. And Compassion International is an amazing ministry that um, is available to you for participating in a type of parenting for kids that need it. Um, so please take a moment, check out the compassion table. Um, also, June 4th, we are going to have another choir Sunday. Praise God. I hope you like choirs. I love choirs. You guys like choirs? No? Yes? Okay, great. Because you're going to be in the choir. I'm just kidding. All right. Look, we need people to sing in the choir. And our first practice is on Wednesday, this Wednesday at 745. So if you feel God leading you to be a part of our choir, please let me know. Or just show up on Wednesday night at 745 in here, okay? So those are the things that we have going on in the life of Webster right now. I think there's also a, a, a ladies' luncheon on Saturday on the 20th at El Patron. So if there's any ladies that want to do that ladies' fellowship, El Patron, I don't remember the time, but that's in your bulletin. This morning, we're going to be uh, diverting from 2 Corinthians, and we're going into the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at one of the, um, the most beautiful theological concepts or um, realities of Scripture called justification. And we're gonna, you're going to learn, and maybe you've never heard that word before, but we're going to talk about what justification is. But before we get into it, I'd like to read our sermon text this morning. We're in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So let's read God's word. This is truth, okay? This is truth. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Through Him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character, it produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word. It's truth. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, this morning I just stand on your word. I, I just ask you, God, to help me to stay true to your word. I pray, God, that you would help me to get out of the way so your word can speak. People don't need to hear about my ideas or whatever human inventions I could come up with, God, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. There are people in this room that need encouragement this morning. And I think justification is great encouragement. God, would you please pour out your spirit on us? Would you please speak to us from your word? Would you please move mightily and enable me to worship you while I'm preaching, Lord? That's all I want, Lord, just to worship you while I'm preaching. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So today's sermon title, I, I kind of approached it as if I were having a conversation with a teenager because I have a lot of conversations with teenagers. Teenagers get attitudes. Amen. All mothers are going, amen. Teenagers get attitudes. So I thought, well, why don't we approach justification as if I were trying to explain it to a teenager with an attitude? I just imagine that teenager saying, what's so great about justification? What's so great about justification? Why do I need to talk about a word, a big old word? Why do you, Pastor Kelly, why do you use these big words? What's so great about it? That's, that's how I approach this. And my, my prayer this morning is that I can accurately show you what is great about justification. Because it is great when you understand it. The idea of justification, think of it this way. Justification, just as if I had never sinned. Justification, just as if I had never sinned. Justification is this part of our salvation. There's many parts to salvation. It's not just a one and done sort of thing, even though it is. <laughs> But justification is the moment when God looks at you and he says, righteous. Or he looks at you and he says, no sin. It's, in reality, an impossible thing. But not to God. Not to God. And I don't know if you know this. Maybe it's your first time hearing what the Bible has to say. But the Bible teaches this. Through faith in Jesus, your status before the judge of all the earth is fully righteous and completely compliant with the law of God. I think we have a slide for that. Just in case you need a visual representation. Let me say it again. Whether you believe it or not right now, <laughs> Or you struggle with it. But through faith in Jesus, your status before the judge, the most important judge, more important than Judge Judy. Before the judge of all the earth is fully righteous. Not a little righteous. Not somewhat righteous. But when your faith is in Christ, you are fully righteous 
and completely compliant, meaning you have kept the law of God. That is what happens when you are justified. And this happens when you look at Jesus. You hear the message of the cross. And you realize how terrible your sin has been to you. And you decide, I'm turning from that sin and I'm going towards that Jesus. Because I believe him. In that moment, you are justified. All of this possible because Jesus paid for it by his righteous blood. Righteous blood so powerful that it has the ability to grant you all the righteousness that's found within it. And not just that. It's not just his blood that does it. His blood does do it completely, but it also... This idea of justification and how it's used in the scriptures, it means that there is a declaration. Justification cannot happen without a declaration. And that declaration is by God himself. He looks at what the blood has done and then he looks at you and he speaks into existence that which does not exist. If you look at Romans chapter seven or chapter four, verse 17, we see how this applied to Abraham. It says, "As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom Abraham believed, and this God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist." This, ha this is said just before Paul goes into this like. Great song about justification. Beloved, you probably feel like I do. Most of the day, I feel bogged down by how unrighteous I can be. My sin, I'm ashamed of it. I hate it. To think that I could be declared righteous or actually be righteous makes zero sense to me. Or that God would even in his amazing grace say, what? <laughs> or that God would even look at me and say, you have been compliant with the law. Look, the blood of Christ and the declaration of God of your justification is so powerful that it rewrites your entire reality. And then we have a life of experience believing what God has said about us by faith. But because of Jesus, through faith in him, our status before the judge of all the earth is fully righteous and completely compliant with the law of God. If God says it, it is so, beloved. Now, what's so great about justification? Well, that's great. But that's not all that Paul has to say about it. That's not all that the scriptures teach about it. In fact, that's not even one of my points. That's just my introduction. God has a lot more to say in this. Paul has a lot more to say that God wanted him to say. And so let's go ahead and take a look at our, our scriptures. Let's look at 
verse 1. What's so great about justification? We have peace with God. I think this is a great thing for you to say to yourself. I have peace with God. I have peace with God. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace, meaning there is now no more conflict. There's no more animosity. There's no more war. The war is over. Peace has come. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you fully understand just how sinful you are and can be, like we're talking in the flesh, because by God's standard, you're righteous if you're in Christ. But it's like, I am a sinner, but I'm also justified and righteous. But if you understood just how terrible your sin is and how offensive your sin is, how your existence as a sinner is so threatened by the existence of a holy God, completely separate, completely righteous, completely glorious. If you understood your sin compared to His holiness, when you hear the words, I have peace with God, it should make you gasp. Because it is absolutely by every natural standard impossible. It is that amazing. It is that amazing that we sinful human beings can have peace with a just and holy God. I've said this before. One, a preacher I really love. You know what the, the worst news for you is? Is God is good. And you're not. I'm not. That's why this justification by faith is so great because now I have peace with the one who should destroy me. This week I was watching Malcolm in the Middle. I think it's a funny show. Maybe not for everyone, just a warning. Um, but there's this episode where it's uh, Malcolm's mom's anniversary. Her and her husband are going to go out and they're going to they're going to get dressed and go out on the town and. She's got this favorite red dress. And as she's getting ready, she's about to go out the door. They're all excited. Mom's going out. Dad's going out. We're going to have a great time. She turns around and she finds her favorite red dress in the toilet. And she picks it out of the toilet and it's burnt. It got caught on fire. So like any mother, naturally, you would assume the kids did it. Right? <laughs> her kids were pretty wild. So she had every good reason to believe it was them. So the... The rest of this episode just goes with her just punishing, basically torturing her kids, trying to get them to confess. Who did it? She's trying to turn them all on each other. And throughout this whole process, Malcolm calls his oldest brother, the older brother, the firstborn, you might say. And he's like, hey, you got to help us, man. She's going to kill us. What do we do? What do we do? And so he coaches them all through this. But by the end of the episode... None of them are confessing, and she, the, their mother is just furious. She is just furious. And so Malcolm calls his older brother again. He's like, man, we're running out of things. And you know what happens? She picks up the phone, discovers they've been talking to their brother the whole time. 
And so Malcolm hangs up the phone and he starts freaking out. He's freaking out because they've been found out. <laughs> oh no. If mom was mad about the dress, she's going to be even more mad that she knows we've been conspiring against her. Little did they know that mom's on the phone with the firstborn and he's, he's interceding for them. <laughs> it's like, mom, don't you realize like you're wasting your whole night focusing on this red dress and getting mad and punishing these kids. And, and you're just missing out. You've been so hyper-focused. She's like, what am I supposed to do? Let it go? And he's like, yeah, let it go. And she says, okay, I love you, bye. During that conversation, the boys are in their room and it, the camera goes to them. They have covered themselves in pillows. They've duct taped pillows to their bodies and they've duct taped pillows to their heads. And they're like banging on the window, trying to bust the window. They've got sticks in their hand because they think their mom's going to come in there and kill, her, kill them. There's a hole in the ceiling from when they pulled the ceiling fan down because they were going to go through the roof, get out of there. Because man, war was about to break out. But mom walks in and she, she just looks at them and smiles and says, who's hungry? Who's hungry? And they're like, what? What? Aren't you, you're not mad about the dress? She's like, that was my favorite dress, but we got to eat, don't we? We've wasted enough time. Let's go, have, let's go have dinner. And you could just see the relief on their faces. This conflict. They thought they were going to die and be destroyed by their mother, their harsh mother. But because their, their firstborn interceded for them and talked her off the cliff. Now, beloved, let me tell you this. I'm not, God's not like Malcolm and Malcolm's mom. God is righteous. He has every reason to have, be at war with us and be angry about sin. But because of the blood of Christ, we have peace. And the relief we can have knowing how unrighteous we really are and how forgiven we are and how amazing it is to be justified and declared righteous, it is so, it's so relieving. It is, that's why people can sing amazing grace. What he's done, what he's done. Because, beloved, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. All right, what else is great about justification? Next, let's look at how we have access to God. I have access to God. Verse 2, it says, Through him, that is Jesus, we also... <laughs> oh, there's more? We also have obtained, meaning it's in our possession, it's been given to us, we own it now, nothing can take it from us, we've obtained it, we've obtained access, being able to move through the curtain, get in through the curtain, by faith, into this grace, this grace, meaning unmerited, undeserved favor, this glorious thing that is in the presence of God. It's just the fact that we can be in his presence is grace in itself in which we stand. And it's important to note that when he says that we've got access into this grace in which we stand, there's two things you need to under, understand about this. The language that Paul's using about this is not just like, oh, that you get something, but it's that you get someone. He's, he's talking about getting into the presence of God. And then when it says when we stand there, it's used 
in the Greek perfect tense. I'm nerding out for a moment. The Greek perfect tense is used to, to talk about something that had a beginning. And instead of having an end, it just keeps going. It keeps going. That's what the perfect tense means. So when it says in which we stand, it had a point of origination, but it has no point of end. It cannot be taken from you. Otherwise, Paul, Paul would have used a different version of the Greek word. But when we say we have access to stand in the grace of God, in the presence of God, this is something that can never be taken away from you, beloved. And being in the place of access is all about how you now relationally relate to someone. God has done something in your justification that has made you a, no longer an enemy, but now a son. You're no longer an enemy, you're a son. And with the son comes the privilege of access. It, when I was meditating on this, I was reminded of the last church I served. There was a guy, uh, the guy I served with, Pastor Dave. Anytime his wife would call, when we were in a meeting, no matter what, if we were talking about like serious stuff or we needed to work something out or we were in conflict, you pastors have conflict with each other. I mean, no matter what, he would stop the conversation and he would say, this is my wife calling. I need to get the phone. Why? Well, he told me it's because of the relationship that they have. She was his wife. She had unhindered access. A lot of parents are this way. Mothers can be this way. They might be at work, but man... Cell phone rings and you see little Johnny calling. She gets the phone. Hello, are you okay? Because of the relationship, beloved. The relationship. Here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> he's an infinite God, but it doesn't matter if he's out like wrestling Jacob <laughs> to change his name, even though that's a stupid illustration. Um, the point is, you call, he answers. You call, he answers because he loves you. You're never going to call him and get a busy tone if those things still exist. You're never going to call and him get a text later that says, I can't talk right now. That's what I do when people call me. I can't talk right now. <laughs> You're never going to get that from God because now... Because of the blood of Christ, you have access to God. You have access. Sometimes, like Heidi said, he might answer your prayers in a way you don't like. But the point is, you still have access to him. So I have, you have access to God. Third, what's so great about justification? Well, I... And you, we will share in the glory of God. We will share in the glory of God. And I love the way Paul talks about this because he uses the word hope. Let me, just, let me just read it. He says, we rejoice and we rejoice, meaning we boast. We, we're just like, yeah, yeah. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And when he's using the word hope, he's not talking about like the hope that we say, man, I hope, I hope we get pizza at school today. Right? I know a lot of middle schoolers love the pizza at school. Or, man, I really hope 
my parents buy me the Harry Potter game for Christmas. The way we use hope, and we, you probably heard this before from this pulpit, we, the way we talk about hope, we talk about it as if it, it, it's possible it may not happen. But that's not the way the Bible uses the word hope. This isn't the word that they're using in the original language. The hope that they speak of is a hope that will not disappoint. Most of the time when I say, man, I hope, I hope uh, we'll have my favorite meal for tonight, you know, I'm, I'm preparing myself for disappointment. A lot of people say, I hope, because they want to prepare for disappointment. They don't want to say, I know I'm going to have this. But Paul is saying, we have, we have this assurance confidence that this is true. That God is going to complete the work he started. When it says the glory of God, he's not just talking about beholding the glory of God. He's talking about what we call another aspect of your salvation, glorification. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible promises and Jesus promised, and he told his apostles to promise that one day Jesus is going to come back for us and he's going to reverse the ravages of sin. He's going to transform our lowly bodies. He's going to make us into his own image. We are literally going to be glorified as Jesus was glorified at the resurrection. That's what Paul is speaking. We have Hope. We know Jesus is going to keep his promises. We know the Father is going to keep his promises. And the only way you can have assurance like this is when you have a real relationship, when you've had that relational access to the Father because the relationship proves the character that God has. Beloved, I'll be put it this way. When I was a little kid, little kids in here know this, or they should know this. I pray they know this. That when they fall and scrape their knee, like I would fall and scrape my knee as a little kid, if I called my mommy, 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 it was a little higher pitched and a little bit more tears. But man, the reason I called mommy is because I knew she would come. Because she's proven it. And now as an adult, if I have a terrible day in ministry where it's just, unbearable heartache after heartache. And that's what ministry has a lot of, as heartache. You wonder why, why aren't these people believing me? Why aren't they believing Jesus? Oh, why are these people fighting? Why am I fighting? Why am I still struggling with sin? Why are they still struggling with sin? I could call my mom because I know her. I have that relationship with her and I know she's going to speak life. She's going to kiss my wounds like she's always done. I'm sure some in this room can relate to this. You know what it's like to have a good mother or a good father. And I'm sorry for those who, who haven't had that experience. It's not supposed to be like that. But what I'm just trying to say is that this is the way God is with us. We know because he's proven it. Beloved, Jesus is going to be sent back for you. Beloved, Jesus is going to share in his glory with you. Jesus isn't someone who just takes all and is like selfish like us and walks away. No, it's mine. You can't have it. You can't have it. You can't have my resurrected body. You can't have it. 
That's not the kind of character our God has. Our God will fulfill his promise to return for us. There is a day coming. There is a day coming when all the pain of your life, beloved, hear me. Maybe you've experienced the pain of having parents that were failures. Everybody fails, but some parents are just cruel to their... Some mothers are cruel. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. Maybe you have that kind of pain in here. Mother's Day is a terrible day for you. You know, there's some people who don't come to church on Mother's Day because they know that we're going to do this. Either they want to be mothers or they had a bad mother. But beloved, hear me now. Hear, hear me now. Hear Jesus when he says this to you. He's going to make it right. He's going to restore the years the locusts have devoured. He's going to reverse the sin and the pain. I mean, beloved, he's already accomplished it by the cross. He's already accomplished it. He's already brought into existence the thing that did not exist. Your righteousness. And he's going to complete it. And you will be new. I love that part. I just love that. What we have to look forward to. Sometimes that's all that gets me through the day. So you will share in the glory of God. Fourth. We, I, you, you, we're in production by God. We are in production. What's so great about justification? Well, now production started. Fire up the engines. Here comes the work that God's going to do in your life. Look at what he says. He says, not only that, not only do we know we're going to be glorified, we're going to get to share in the glory of God or in the hope of the glory of God. But we rejoice, we boast. Oh, are you going to like this? I don't know if you're going to like this. We rejoice in our sufferings. Ooh. Anybody like suffering? <laughs> but he says, we rejoice in our suffering. And that, that word suffering can mean suffering from persecution. It can mean suffering from cancer, debilitating disease, broken relationships, being an orphan. But we rejoice in sufferings. And he says, he says, we know, <laughs> knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance is, though, is essentially like giving, producing the fortitude to continue forward. You need endurance. <laughs> I need endurance. And this endurance, which is kind of the longevity of your suffering, as you've resisted forsaking Jesus in the midst of your suffering, this endurance produces character. You know what character means? It just means like people have integrity. Like they've been proven. Like you can, you can know someone's character because of their faithfulness. You can know their character because of the longevity of the kindness you've seen in them. A lot of times we forsake character for the ease of quick results. 
That's why so many people get up here and they preach without having proven character or they sing without having proven character or they serve without having proven character. And we, we tend to for, forget that the kind of leaders we should look for are those who have suffered immensely. And this character produces hope. Because we've, we've, we've been through the fire. We know that when we're in the fire, the Son of Man is with us in the fire. When we've endured persecution, we know that Jesus' promises, promises are still good. We've experienced joy in suffering. You know, when I was thinking about this one, this idea of how we're in production, it reminded me of um, the fact that uh, Larry Morton is up, up in the hospital over at, in, 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 uh, up at uh, uh, Harris. Larry Morton, he's been in this church. Him and Marilyn have been coming to this church for about 10 years now. Known him for years. I remember when they showed up uh, all that time ago. And I just remember how they got plugged in. And they already had, man, they were, they were already gray. And, and they had lives like that. They, there were people in this church that already knew them from other church that they were at. And, but when they got here, they just jumped in and served. And they loved and they've visited and they've just been such a blessing. Well, this week when we, Claire and I went to visit Larry, Marilyn was talking to us about many of the times that Larry's been in the hospital or, or things that have happened. And, and beloved, they've been, through, they've been through a lot. I mean, when, I love gray hair in a church. A lot of people forsake the gray hairs in the church because they want the younger. And some, some might come to faith later in life, but, but generally, I, I, the saints I've known with gray hair in the church have had proven character. They've been through suffering. I was just amazed. Marilyn was saying she brings her peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day. Every day. I was like, I can't even eat PB&J once a week. But I was just struck by the simplicity and the faithfulness and the endurance and that doesn't come overnight. It comes over decades of walking with Jesus, being in production by Jesus. And their life is a testimony of that. I don't know where you're at in your walk with Christ, but I want to tell you, I think you need to hear this. If you want to be strong in your faith, you may have to suffer a lot. God doesn't delight to make that you suffer, but he takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for your good and his glory. So, beloved, you're in, you're in production. I'm in production by God. God is the only one who can take the things that are meant for evil and just think of him. That's how I think of it. He's just twisting it like I'm trying to open a can of pickles. You need a strong, you can only, it can only get opened by the strongest person in the house. And beloved, God's the strongest one in the house and he can turn all those things for your good and his glory. You're in production. And then lastly, I, you, me, we are filled by the love of God. 
We are filled by the love of God. Verse 5, he says, And hope does not put us to shame because, and you know, shame meaning like, you know what shame is. Oh, I'm ashamed. Like, you're, maybe you're proven wrong or you're embarrassed. But, but hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Literally, love comes in because the Spirit has come in. You are filled with the love of God at justification. The Bible teaches the moment you repent and turn from your sin and place your faith in the finished work of Jesus, you believe Jesus at His word, the Holy Spirit comes in and with that is the love. Now, I, I want to... I want, to, I want to clarify something for you for a moment because I believe and I think, I think you could agree. Maybe some of you would agree with me. Maybe you'll understand when I explain this that a lot, of, a lot of what we focus on when we think that the Spirit comes into our heart, we think, we think the main focus is that He's going to make us love God now. Like, like, oh, the Spirit comes and then He reveals or He, he makes you love God. Now, it's true the Spirit does that. But that's not the first thing he does. It, it can't be. It can't be the first thing he does. He does it, but it's not the first thing. Pertaining to love, the first thing the Holy Spirit has to do in your heart, and I'm going to use Paul's own words, he has to reveal to you the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of God's love for you. That has to happen first. Scripture teaches that. John says that. We love because he first loved us. And we get, some of us get, I get like this. You get like this probably. I, some of us get so frustrated. God, I don't love you enough. I, I can't tell you how many times I see on, and I'm not trying to shame anyone who does this, but on the prayer list, people write in, in there, they say, this is my prayer. Help me to love God more. I get it. I get it. I feel that way. We get so focused. Oh God, I want to love you more. I want to love you more. Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep sinning? I don't want to sin anymore. I want to love you, God. I want to love you, God. Make me love you. Make me love you. But here's the reality. We got to spend less time focusing on what we can never give to him on our own. Like you, you, there's a reason why you don't love God like you know you should. <laughs> You're a sinner. Righteous. What needs to happen is your eyes have to be enlarged to the thickness, the, the greatness of his love for you. There's only one place you can do that. It's a cross. We have to have the spirit enlighten us to the love that has been demonstrated to us. You and I have to have the perspective that 
The love of God is greater than all. And if my love falls short, his will never fall short. So if you want to grow in your love for God, you have to grow in your depth of understanding his love for you. And that's what Paul is talking about. It's like the love of God is just poured out. Like my nanny, when she would take me to the gallery in Birmingham, she would just pour out her love on me. She'd buy me my favorite Batman toy. She would buy me a brand new pair of shoes. I knew if I went to visit my nanny, she would take me out and man, she'd pour out the love on me. It was a good day. And you know what? After the gallery, she'd take me home and make me meatloaf. Man, I experienced great love for my grandma. Many of you have you had that, you know, the par- you're, you're probably thinking, man, my kid, if you have kids, you're like, man, my, my mom and dad are so freaking nice to my kids. I wish they were that nice to me when I was growing up. Grandkids get spoiled. Beloved, do you know how spoiled you are by your father in heaven? Not your grandfather in heaven, your father in heaven. Oh, man, he took his son to the cross for your sin. He's going to send his son back for you to glorify you. He's given you his spirit to show you more of his love. Beloved, you are loved. Oh, my gosh, better than a grandmother could ever love you. Better than a grandmother. I had, I'm going to skip my applications. I'm just going to go straight to the end. So let, let me just tell you this. One application, all right, I'll, I'll just say, go, go to the cross. If you want to grow in your understanding of glorification or, excuse me, justification, go to the cross. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at the fact that the peace of God is found because the Son of God died. Look at access You want to know access? Look at the cross because Jesus at his death died so that you might have an unhindered access to the Father. If you want to know that you're going to share in the glory of God, you got to realize Jesus came off that cross. He was resurrected. He, before he left, he's going to come back to you. If you want to know about production of God, how God's working in you, just look at your life. Look at the pain you might have to endure. Just look and even look at Jesus. It says he was perfected by his suffering. How do you perfect that which is perfect? I don't get it. But then if you want to know more about being filled by the love of God, oh, just look more and more at the cross. Look more and more at the gospel. Just go to, go to Jesus. That's what I say. Just go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. He has called into existence that which did not exist. You are righteous if your faith is in Jesus. You are compliant with the law. God looks at you and he says, you've kept the law. You are justified. Don't let anything convince you otherwise. Of course, you better repent of sin like we all have to do. But beloved, you are righteous and completely compliant with the law. And all these things we've talked about are unlocked by that justification. And I I think the best way for us to remember and see this is just to read the rest of what's in this section that Paul wrote. So that's how we're going to end. And, and before I read this, let's have the, let's have the band come up. Let's, let's get started with this. We're, we're going to sing. 
But you might, I don't know where you're at. I'm just trusting that God's word is powerful. I'm trusting that someone in here needs to respond. I just, I just, I just beg of you, wherever you're at, it, know that you are loved by Jesus. Know that you are loved by the Father. You are loved by the Spirit. Just know that you are loved by God. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to show you the way back to him. Beloved, look at, look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at the justification that's available for you. Don't leave this place without responding. Don't leave this place without just receiving by faith what God is offering to you, whatever it is. He's speaking to you individually. Where Maybe you need to repent of some sin. Maybe you are just struck by the fact, oh my gosh, you have loved me so much. Oh God, you have loved me. I just give up my life. I'm so sorry for this secret sin. Maybe you need to come forward and confess it to him at the altar. Maybe you just need to cry out to him right now. Whatever you are, whoever you are, just, just don't leave here without talking to him and responding. Beloved, if we... If we come here every Sunday and we don't respond to this, what good is this? What good is this? But hear this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me and you. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. I mean, the only righteous one was Jesus and his friends left him when the Romans came. Peter's like, I'll die for you, Jesus. Nope. One will scarcely die for a righteous one. Though perhaps for a good person, maybe one, one would dare even to die, maybe. But God. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, calling into existence that which did not exist, much more shall we be saved by him, Jesus, from the wrath of God, what we deserve. If while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? He's talking about the resurrection. Jesus has resurrected from the dead and you get a resurrection too. Death isn't the end for you, beloved. You're going to be saved by the life of Jesus. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises that we find. Thank you, God, that we didn't have to die for our sins, but Jesus died for our sins. Thank you, God, that you have justified those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. God, if there's someone in here who has not placed their faith in Christ, God, I just pray that you would, you would just... Just tug their heart, God. Break down the walls. Break down the walls, Lord. Help them to help them right now. God, give them the courage. God, if they need to stand up and they just need to profess Christ or they need to come forward, oh God, and they, they, need, to, they need to just say, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. God, give them the courage, Lord. Don't let them be ashamed. Do a work, God. Please do a work. 
Do a work, God. Do a work, please. Will you stand with us? Let's just stand for a moment. We're about to sing. We're going to sing about perfect, spotless righteousness. I just pray right now, God, that everyone who's here right now, we're about to sing. We're about to sing this. Oh, God, may it be true for us. May it be true for us, Lord. God, help us. Let's sing.